but definitely shorter. Reese and Mary Kay are out of town. Reese called me two weeks ago or so and said, I've tried really hard to find someone else to preach, but I couldn't, so would you be available? I said, wow, thanks for that vote of confidence, dear friend. He did say that, by the way. So good to see you. I'm glad to be here. You know, Connie and I are both here. Normally we go to the San Gabriel service. Those of you that are visiting, uh, don't worry. We'll be right back next week to our scheduled program. I'm just a brief intermission in the whole thing, okay? So if you don't like what you hear, just suck it up for 45 minutes or so. Have a good lunch and forget all about it, okay? If you do like what you hear, and I hope you do, then uh, maybe you'll find some things to put into practice. Uh, by the way, it was so cool to see Darby here. Darby O'Connor. I was like, Darby is singing today, and that's the song you choose before I go up and speak? Really? I would have liked to have Darby sing before me. I, I tapped my wife on the shoulder. I'm like, that really reminds me of Darby singing up there. And she's like, that is Darby, honey. I'm like, holy cow. So great to see you. Darby, I guess, is in town for, for team camp from... Just hanging? Yeah? Awesome. Tell mom and dad we said hi in Boise. So cool. Anyway, this is just what we do, just so you know. Okay? I got, I got 45 minutes. I actually have a whole lot to say. I don't know how much I'm going to get through. Um, I have like six points. Is that like crazy? And there's not necessarily a flow to this whole thing, just so you know. Those of you that have heard me speak, you go, oh, yeah, we get that, Rob. We weren't expecting any flow. Fantastic. Uh, over your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. We're actually going to be using a lot of different Bible verses today. You're used to, if you've been coming for any length of time, you're used to Reese, you know, going out of like one passage or whatever. I'm going to give you a total break from that today, and we're going to look at a lot of the Bible. Is that okay? Love the Bible. Good to hear. So, a few weeks ago, it was... Um, my middle son's birthday, Jake, he turned 23, I know, right? And like all birthdays that I enjoy so much, none as much as mine, by the way, but definitely enjoy Jake's, we do a family dinner together, and many of you guys know, I've, I've shared about this, we always do like a family thing, it's just, just our immediate family, five of us together, and we always share about the individual and uh, it's, if you don't do it, you should do it. It's just fantastic. It's so cool. And towards the end of it, you know, we shared and it was, I think, moving for him and, and cool. And he's getting ready to go to UCSD, so he's going to be in San Diego, which is about as far, you know, away from the family as he's been. Although he's been living on his own, you know, in Pasadena since he was 18. Couldn't wait to get out of the house. And I get that. Mine with me. Uh, but I'm proud of him, and uh, of course he'll be finishing up his degree at UCSD, but um, towards the end of the night, they, they bring like a little dessert, right, and they put the candles on it, you guys know that, and we kind of sing happy birthday, and we're like, okay, make a wish, Jake, make a wish, and he goes, he, he thinks, you know, you can see him contemplating, and he goes to blow it out, and he, and he does, he goes, Okay, and okay, maybe that wasn't the wish, and you know, he doesn't say anything, and he's thinking again to himself, and he goes to blow it out, and he doesn't. He did this two times. We're like, and then he looks at us, Balks, yeah, I guess. He looks at both Connie and I, and he goes, he goes, you know, 
why do I need to make a wish? He goes, if I want something, I just need to get out there and work for it. Connie and I were like, yes, son. I mean, we high-fived each other. We were like, awesome, awesome. I mean, as a dad, it's like, yes. Don't buy a lottery ticket. Get your butt out there and work. Nothing against those of you who buy lottery tickets. Already you hate me, I know. And so it got me thinking, because Connie and I never, it's not like we ever had that conversation with, with Jake, right? Or, or Cole or Nico. Or, it's not like we ever said, you know what, you don't need to wish for things, you need to work for things. It's not like we ever had that conversation. And so some things, I think, in parenting and some things in relationships in general, there's like an osmosis, right? Like they see what you do, you see what each other does, you say you're a certain thing, but people watch you, right? And they watch me and they wonder, are you really what you say you are? And, you know, we're always judging in that regard. And, and for whatever reason, even though we didn't have that conversation, that was what he kind of grasped and learned. And I was so proud. Because there's plenty of bad habits of mine that he's picked up as well, right? So, you know, when there's a good one, you latch a hold of it. And I thought, you know what, there's, there's like a list of things. I got to thinking over the next couple of weeks. There's like a list of things that, that I thought, that I think they should know. And as I was going through this list, because I was thinking about, you know, writing a book and, you know, putting my thoughts into, uh, into a book or, or just expressing them in some way. And I, as I was looking through these things, I was like, you know, these are really things that I think, and I am speaking today, I think everybody should know. So the title of my lesson are Things You Should Know. Now, who said they like it? Someone just said, I like it. Okay. I hope you say that after the message. Because some of the things I'm going to say, with your permission, do I have permission, by the way? Thank you so much. You didn't even know what I was asking. I just said, do I have your permission? And you all volunteered. You're just wonderful people. I'm going to say some challenging things. Some of this stuff is challenging. It just is. Because it kind of comes out of the Bible. And some of the things that Jesus said were like really challenging when you apply them to your life. But oftentimes they kind of, they're countercultural. They go against our culture. So enough of that. Point number one, things you should know. Life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. Jesus in John chapter 16, verse 33, you don't need to turn there, but you can write it down if you like. He said, you know, in this world you will have trouble. And this, I think, issue of fairness is almost something that is like inherent to our nature, like human nature. Uh, If you have children, if you've ever tried to separate a candy bar between two brothers, you know, you better do it with the precision of a neurosurgeon. Otherwise, one is going to be like, well, that's not fair. He got almonds and I didn't get any. Or he didn't get any almonds and I didn't want it. I mean, there's just something it's about. It's not fair. So it's like inherent to to nature. We have two dogs. If I see Connie giving Finley a cookie, I'm like, did you give Rufus a cookie? Right? I love Rufus. I love Finley. We want to make sure both get their cookies. Life isn't that way, though. Look in Matthew chapter 20. This is a really cool story. 
but challenging. Starting in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like this. What we're about to read, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, hey, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon. And again about three in the afternoon, and he did the exact same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out, and he found still others standing around, and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, sir, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, and then going on to the first ones. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and each of them received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, right? Wouldn't you? But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same amount that I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous. Now, if this were in California, there would be an unfair practices lawsuit happening immediately. Okay? But this isn't California. This is the way the kingdom of God is like, it says. Think about that. See, the problem with unfairness always arises... When you're focused on what? No. When you're focused on what someone else has. Everybody agreed to work for a denarius. The landowner wanted to be extra generous with those who only worked one hour. Those that got paid their denarius that worked all day long had already agreed to that. Those that only worked one hour, they got paid the same amount. The landowner chose to be generous. And people only began to grumble and be unhappy when they looked at what somebody else had instead of looking at what they had. See, this is a big problem that we have. You know, we're all dealt cards in this life, right? We're dealt a hand. Maybe you grew up in a great home. Not many of us have. But maybe you did. Maybe you grew up with money. Maybe somebody that grew up in a great family and with money were dealt really great cards. But you know the interesting thing? What really matters is what you do with the cards at the end of the day. I just did a little bit of research. I couldn't, I couldn't write down all the names, but you probably know some of these. I bet you can think of names of famous people, wealthy people, 
whose children committed suicide or died of overdoses or whose families were wrecked. And it had nothing to do with the cards they were dealt because they had money and they had fame and they had opportunity. Probably far more than you and I, right? But it's what they chose to do with their cards. Ever hear of Marlon Brando? Pretty famous guy. His son killed his daughter's boyfriend, sister's boyfriend, and then his sister committed suicide. Marie Osmond, her son died, committed suicide. Paul Newman's son, OD'd. Gloria Vanderbilt's son committed suicide. Willie Nelson's son committed suicide. Do you know the list goes on and on and on? These people, relatively speaking, at least from a worldly perspective, were dealt a pretty good hand, right? Pretty good set of cards with the opportunities they had and the financial means they had. But the reality is, it just didn't matter. What matters is what they chose to do with their cards. So if you're challenged right now with something going on in your life, and maybe you just don't think it's fair, I would just say consider for a moment not what somebody else has and you don't, but just consider how much you have. Consider how grateful we should be for the opportunity and things we have in our life. We're getting our denarius, right? We really are. I mean, we've won the lottery in the United States by being born at such a time as this. You know there are 585 billionaires in the U.S.? Did you know that? 585. Do you know almost 70% of them are self-made? 7 out of 10 billionaires self-made. Name a famous billionaire. Somebody shout one out. Donald Trump? <laughs> okay. All right. That's, that's one. Name another one. Who? I don't know who that is, Mr. McMahon. All right, who else? Name another. Bill Gates? That's a good one, right? Come on, what about like a technology billionaire? Name one of them. How about Elon Musk? Someone say Musk. Pete Rose. Pete Rose? <laughs> this is the wrong set of trivia here, guys. Who knows Elon Musk's story? Anybody know it? Do you know Elon Musk grew up in an incredibly abusive household? He didn't grow up rich. His father was incredibly abusive, both physically and verbally. Do you know that he was so bullied in school that he was beaten so badly he was sent to the hospital? That's bullying. Elon Musk. Were his cards good? Not as good as what he's played them to be, at least from a financial perspective. Life isn't fair. Like, it's okay if we focus instead on what we have rather than what we don't have. Does that sound good? Number two. I'm going to try to rip through each of these in about five minutes because I have so many. Is that all right? Some of these you'll like. Maybe some of them you won't. Number two. There are no trophies for participation. Who said Amen. See, it's always older people that say amen, right? I'm with you. By the way, you're not older, Noria, but compared to the front row, we're older, right? Older people are like, amen. Younger people are like, I got a whole shelf of them. Our kids played every sport, right? They played football. They played baseball. They played soccer. 
They played lacrosse. They did karate. Every sport. Trophies for every sport. Right? You know, we've moved a ton of times. Do you know which trophies actually make the move? The ones they earned. That's right. Those are the ones that make the move. It doesn't matter if they're 8, 9, 10 years old. They get it. They get it. We get it innately. Like at some point in life, it's not going to be what someone hands you. It's going to be what you do with what you have. And there aren't trophies for participation. Look over in Luke chapter 13. This is challenging scripture here. Luke 13, starting in verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages. A lot of this is Jesus speaking. Teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and won't be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you and I don't know where you come from. Away from me, you evildoers. I know some of the scriptures are challenging, right? Let's get to those hope and fun scriptures. We'll get to those in a minute, all right? What's the difference between trying and making every effort? Because here in Jesus' story, there seems to be a pretty big difference, right? He says, you know, many will try and they won't be able to, ev- to enter. So you should do what? Make every effort. What is the difference between trying and making every effort? Can somebody give me one example? One example. Don't give me Pete Rose again for crying out loud. Give me something better than that. Making every effort would be doing your best. Trying wouldn't be. All right, what else? Give me, give me something specific. Yes. Instead of just what? There you go. Instead of just thinking, right? I, you know, I should probably do that. Actually do it, right? Really good. What else? Yeah. Barbara. That's good. So being proactive instead of just reacting to whatever anybody else is giving you. That's great. What else? What's the difference between trying? Think about your job. We're using Bible studies. Think about your job. Think about your marriage. Think about your friendships. What's the difference? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, what would it be like if in your marriage you have your first argument and you're like, you know what, honey, we really gave this a go, but, you know, it just doesn't seem to be working out. Right? I mean, what, ha- what would happen then in your marriage? You know, I just, I mean, we're arguing. We obviously aren't suitable for one another. We've got to pack it up. Right? What's the difference? What else? Give me another one. You guys know. Yeah, Sarah. It just didn't work for me. That's good. 
Have you ever heard the term, the best things in life are free? That is such a crock. That is a lie, guys. The best things in life cost everything you have. The best things in life are expensive. They are. They are not free. You want the best steak? It's going to cost you some money. I know. Do you want the best car? More money. Jesus elaborated on the kingdom of God. He said, you know what it's like? It's like this really, really wealthy guy who found this treasure hidden in a field. And you know what he did? He sold everything he owned so he could buy that field and get that treasure. He didn't say, you know what the kingdom of life of, of, of God is like? It's free. It's free. It's just free. It's free for anyone who wants to try. Give it a whirl. Doesn't work out for you, don't worry, it's free. He didn't say that. He didn't say there are trophies for participation. You know, the best example of the difference between trying and making every effort in, like, as you read this, is actually what happens with these people in the example, in my opinion. It says in verse 25, once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, they stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. And it goes on in verse 28. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. And you know, the first thing I think is, you know, if they just had that attitude prior to the door being closed, right? If they just, like, had that attitude of, of pleading and knocking and going after it and, and weeping sometimes and, like, you know, gnash your teeth, like, yeah, let's do this thing. If, if they just made that kind of effort, the door wouldn't have closed, Right? What a bummer. They made that effort too late. You know, this is true in life, but it's certainly true spiritually as well. So number one was, life isn't. Number two, no trophies for. Number three, this is more positive, okay? (laughs) Hang with me. Enjoy this moment. Enjoy this moment. And you go, well, Rob, I was really enjoying it until you got up there. All right, well, enjoy the moment. Across from my desk, I have, you know, a bookshelf like so many people do right in their offices. And on my bookshelf are, of course, books. But I have these, like, photos uh, across from my desk. And there's this one photo of uh, me and Marty Fuquay and Peter Garcia standing on the Swilkin Bridge uh, in St. Andrews, Scotland, playing the old course. It's 1999, and we're standing there, and it's just there's just everything special about it, right? If you're a golfer, you know this is the home of golf. The course is 700 years old. The bridge has been there for hundreds of years. Every great golfer in history has stood on that little bridge and taken a photo, and there... There I have this photo of me and, and two of my best friends in the world standing there, right? And so you look at that photo and you think, at least for me, I go, that was a special moment, right? I mean, how memorable, how amazing. You have moments like that, right? That are captivated forever. Here's the funny thing. On the same bookshelf, I have this photo of Nico and Jake when they were little kids, about the same time you know, like late 90s, and they're laying on the bed. You weren't born yet, Cole. And they're laying on the bed with copper. And we had just gotten copper. Anybody remember copper, my dog? 
he passed away, um, you know, six months or so ago, a little longer, actually. And, um, and he looks, I mean, he's just like bright orange, and he looks so young. We had just gotten him at that time. And in so many ways, that picture is like of nothing. It's, it's of nothing. It's just two kids laying on the bed with a dog. And, you know, that's a little like the moments of our lives. I mean, I think, I think too often, you know, we're waiting for like the big monumental thing, right? We have this next goal or this next dream, and if only I could get there and do this. If only I could get there and do that. If only I had this. And so we're always looking for tomorrow instead of like how magical that moment is. Like how cool it is. This morning I go out and walk the dog. You know, I'm walking Rufus. As soon as we walk out the door, there's a peacock on my front lawn. And Rufus gets just really upset and the hair rises on his back and he chases the peacock off the lawn. I'm like, that was a great moment. It was a great moment. He didn't kill the peacock or anything. I'm sure that's illegal in California. Holy cow. I'd be in jail right now if that happened. God forbid. They'd throw me under the prison. That was a great, I mean, it's a great moment. I think, look, look with me to Matthew chapter 6. I think the issue for us is all a matter of perspective. Matthew chapter 6. It's not, and certainly there are some moments that are cooler, right? Like the St. Andrew's moment. But when you, like, move away from what you want and just consider this moment, it's magic, man. It's magic. In verse 25, She says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what do we eat? What do we drink? What do we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I, I and probably like many of you, am very like, as a kid I might have been diagnosed, but as an adult I'll say ADD, right? Like I'm always on to the next thing. You know, i got to settle that stuff down. Because what matters is like what's happening right now in the present. That's what, that's what life is. It's not about the worries you have of tomorrow, what you want to gain, what you want to grow. You know, have goals. Don't forget about it. But at the same time, if you don't enjoy today, what does it matter? So, enjoy this moment right now. Who you're sitting next to. Enjoy the music that was sung. Enjoy Darby being here. Enjoy the friends that you have. Think about that. Enjoy the moment. Number four. 
You can turn to Romans chapter 8. Number four. Things you should know. Always be full of optimism and hope. Not so easy. In the uh, 60s, turn to Romans here. In the 60s, they did um, a study on rats and mice where they gave them an electric shock and gave them some seemingly ways that they could escape. And so if they would go a certain way, they would shock them. If they'd go another way, they'd shock them. In other words, they shocked them no matter what they did. I know, terrible, right? And it is rats, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you, Kevin. And so here's what happened to the rats. After a while, the rats learned that they were helpless to change the shock. And so they stopped reacting to the shock. They just, when they got shocked, they just sat there and got shocked. And when they weren't getting shocked, they just sat there. There was no difference. So there was this term in the 60s called learned helplessness. I might term it learned hopelessness, even. Well, what they did is they replicated the study on humans about 10 years later. They didn't shock them, though. I know, that's your first thought. They shocked humans? No. What they did with humans is they had a loud noise. So they separated, they separated people into these three groups, group one, group two, group three, and they would play this loud noise. Group one could make the loud noise go off by you know, pressing these buttons a certain number of ways. And so they would, you know, play around, play around, play around until they figured it out how to turn off the noise. And they did. They figured it out. Group two, they played the loud noise and they had the buttons there, but there was no way to turn off the noise. They just kept playing it over and over and over again. Interesting, like the rats, right? And then group three, no noise whatsoever. They just sat in a room, hung out. So they did this on day one. Day two, they brought everybody back. And now on day two, they replicate the experiment. And what they do is there are no buttons. They remove all the, all the objects in the room. And they didn't know it, but what they had to do is they had to like wave their hands like this to make the, the loud noise stop. Group one, looking for buttons, going all around, and some accidentally wave their hands and the noise stops. And they figure it out. Group one figures it out. The same group that figured it out before. Group three, the one that had no noise whatsoever, guess what? They figured it out too. Group two, they never figured it out. They didn't try. They just figured, that's the same as yesterday, no matter what we do, even though they could actually turn off the noise, no matter what we do, noise is just going to blare. And we can't do anything. So they never were able, they never tried or attempted. They had learned to be hopeless in their situation. So with all of this data, what does our government do? Applies it to the military. So the military grabs a hold of this. There's a spiritual point in all of this. Just hang with me. i got five minutes on this point, all right? So the military grabs a hold of this. What does the military do? Well, the military figured out that actually in group two, there is kind of a natural group of about a third of all of us, a third of humankind, even though 
we've learned this helplessness, we will still remain optimistic and hopeful that there's a, a way out of it. A third naturally, a third of us are naturally optimistic and hopeful. But here's what the military did. They separated two groups and they let one group take the optimistic people and, and encourage the rest of the group. Right? Say encouraging things. Spur them on. Lead them. Show them that, that, that something can be done. And here's what they learned. And Colin Powell actually termed the phrase, perpetual optimism is a force multiplier. What they learned is that ten fighting soldiers that are optimistic would fight like 50. The other group, they removed all, even though there were optimists, they removed all optimistic behavior, all encouragement, and that group, so discouraged, would fight like two. Ten would have the fighting force of two. Now that's the humanistic argument for us to remain optimistic and encourage one another. Okay? But see, there's a spiritual argument for it as well. We've, we've learned by, via science that we should encourage one another and be optimistic. It's better for our health. It's better for our relationships. It's better for everything. But look in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Romans 8, 18. Paul, who had been through a lot, said in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Kind of like group two, right? Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly with all the troubles and difficulties and challenges that we face. You go on to verse 28, it says, And we know... That in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those He predestined, He called, those He called, He justified, those He justified, He also glorified. You know, in this room, we have, more than likely, chronic sickness, paralysis, cancer, Divorce, broken relationships, poverty, job loss, pain, right? Difficulty. This is the groaning, right, of creation. This is like the frustration of our lives. I work hard, and yet I don't get ahead. I pour my life into something, and then it crumbles. I pour my life into this relationship, and it doesn't turn out the way I want it to be. And there's all this frustration. And you know what? As you get older, it can suck the optimism and the hope right out of you if you let it. But we know in all things, the Bible says, that God does what? He works for our good in all things. So we can remain hopeful. We can remain optimistic in all of our challenges and all of our difficulties and all of our pain. We go, you know what? I know I need to be optimistic, but I'm not very happy right now. But you know what I can wrap my mind around? You know what I can embrace? God's going to bring good out of this situation. He's going to bring good out of it. 
I don't know how because it's bad. I don't know what he's going to do, but I trust in what the Word says. Can you remain hopeful if you believe this is going to be good? Could you be hopeful then? I could be hopeful then. So we don't just have the empty promise of, you know what? Humanistically, we should remain hopeful because it's good for us. We actually have the spiritual promise of, you know what? It's not maybe going to be good for you. It's definitely going to be good for you if you're a Christian. Amen? All right, I got like six minutes left. I wasn't sure I was going to talk about number five. Well, I figured you'd say, come on, Tom. That's why I was looking at you. Because number five, I mean, number six is encouraging, right? That's a good one. Number five is a little challenging, but I threw it in there anyway. All right, I'll run through it really quick. Is that okay? Since you all seem to be just overwhelmingly wanting it. Number five, be proud of your spiritual convictions. You say, oh, wow, that's, what's challenging about that, Rob? Well, the biggest change I've seen in our society in the last 30 years is kind of this subversive idea that those who believe in God should be ashamed while those that lead simple lives should be proud. And it's become more and more mainstream in the world in the last 30 years. We have pride celebrations and pride weeks and pride days. We've changed our language. We have fat shaming and body shaming and gender shaming on Facebook. On Facebook, do you know that there are 58 different genders that you can actually apply to yourself? 58 genders? 98 where? 98 in New York. 58 on Facebook. You can be agender, bigender, cigender, cifemale, cimale. I won't read them all. I just picked a few good ones. You can be neither, neutral, non, other, pan. I mean, you can... It's not XX and XY. It's X whatever. Now, let me be clear about something. <laughs> this is not a license to ever mock or belittle or make fun of people. You're an idiot if you do that. Okay? And I've been an idiot before. Probably you have too. But come on, man. Really? And Christians are ashamed? And we're the ones ashamed? I mean, we're not going out and getting wasted and drunk. We're not ones, you know, living wild, immoral lives. You know, I, I was ashamed when I was leading an immoral life. I was ashamed. You know what? I should have been. It's okay. I should have been. You know, being ashamed is a good thing. I know that we've, like, language it like being ashamed is a bad thing. You shouldn't be ashamed. You should be proud of everything. You should not. You should not. But you certainly shouldn't be ashamed for leading a righteous life. I won't read the Scriptures, but in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. And then in verse 18 and following, he goes through a long diatribe of those that should be ashamed. And he says, you know, they lead lives that are shameful. And they, they not only lead them, but they approve of others who lead lives that way.
we should be proud of our spiritual convictions. Not as a license to put anyone down because you and I are no better. But by the same token, don't you dare be ashamed that you've changed and you've, you've decided to lead a righteous life. That's a good thing. That's a good thing where we're going. Amen? All right, last but not least, i got four minutes to hit this. Last but not least, Luke chapter 15. Dad will always be there. Dad will always be there. Luke chapter 15. So, I'll, uh, I'll end the way I started this at the dinner. At the dinner, we're, um, we're having kind of a, you know, dinner's over, sharing's over, Connie and I already high-fived and all that stuff, and we're having a deeper conversation now kind of about these things. And because it kind of spurred that thought on, like, hey, what else have you gotten from us that we didn't know, right? And I said, you know, guys, I just want you to know, you're going to have hard times. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to blow it. I said, but mom and dad, we will always be there for you. And Connie goes, unless you're on drugs. And I said, okay. Unless you're on drugs. <laughs> she did say that. Uh, you know, look, I mean, isn't that what mom and dad want to do and be, right? That's, that's the foundation. That's, that's, that's how much we love and care and are concerned. And that's how, that's how God is as well. You know the story. I have a moment left. Parable of the lost son. Man had two sons, verse 11. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. I want my money. He split it up. Not long after that, younger son got together all he had, sent off for a distant country, and squandered his wealth in wild living. He spent everything. But there was severe famine in the whole country. He began to be in need. He hired himself out to a citizen who sent him to feed to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach. He came to his senses and said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am slaving to death. I will set out. I'll go back to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am not worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around his son, and kissed him. He said, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. The father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. So they began to celebrate. That's where God is with us, right? Always ready to celebrate. Wanting us to turn from the things that we should be ashamed of back to Him. And not wanting to hold those things against us. Not wanting to sit down and have a talk. Now let's talk about what you did in that foreign country. Let's talk about what you spent my hard-earned money on over those years. Let's talk about the prostitution. Let's talk about the Let's get down to dirt. He goes, no, let's celebrate. He's back. That's the way God is. Isn't it? These are some things you should know, I think. There are things I thought my kids should know. There are things that I think I need to be reminded of on a regular basis. I hope they're helpful to you. Why don't we have a prayer? 
We'll close out our service. You can pick up your kids, and then you can go enjoy some great moments with them this afternoon. Amen? Let's have a prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the richness of the lessons in Your Word. Thank You for Your kindness and Your love for us, that You treat us not as we deserve, but instead You, you treat us so special, so warmly, so lovingly. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive us for our sins. Help us to put those shameful things behind us and instead really look to You, God, and be full of hope and optimism, unashamed to live our lives as Christians. Father, we love You. We thank You for Jesus. We pray all this in His name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great day.